It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. I am DJ Scruggs, and normally my partner, Adam Adams, is with me, but Adam is off doing important real estate-y stuff, so I'm going to be flying solo today, uh, but not completely solo because I have an excellent guest on coming from uh, all the way from Hawaii, Lane Kawaoka. Hi, Lane. Hey, DJ. Thanks for having me. So I, I just have to ask uh, right off the bat, are you from Hawaii originally? I was originally, I grew up here in Hawaii, but I uh, spent 14 years in Seattle investing up there. But, you know, they say invest where the numbers make sense, but yeah. make you want. And, and we're definitely going to get into that. Um, but why don't we just start with, why don't you just sort of walk us through your path? Because you didn't start out to do real estate originally. Right. No, no. So, yeah. So I I walked that linear path of, you know, study hard, get to go to college. I got an engineering degree and then I went right to work, uh, working as a construction supervisor. Um, got paid pretty well, but, um, you know, it just kind of sucked, right? Like you get sent <laughs> out on these like jobs where I was traveling 100% of the time, um, you know, out on had to leave the house at Sunday to travel, fly out, back on Friday night, hopefully back by before Saturday. Um, but what kind you know, of construction was, a, was it? It was uh, railroad construction. Oh, so interesting. It wasn't no rocket science, that's for sure. I mean, it was more people and, and getting stuff done than anything else, which uh, was a little disheartening having an engineering degree and it's you know you're pretty much putting steel on top of wood it doesn't get much easier than that but they paid well right and i chased the money after college and as you know now like you don't chase you know every time you chase money you get hurt seem to get hurt yeah i, I can imagine so um when did you so but you know i was reading through your bio before we started and it mentioned that you uh at least from an investing perspective you got started at a pretty young age yeah you know i've always um my first job was like picking pineapple in Maui, and you know, I made a couple thousand bucks doing that. And at that time, I think it was like 14, I had a Roth IRA account. So it was kind of, wow. you know, this way ahead of brain. Me. Yeah, well, it was the brainwashing, right? You know, you put money in the stock market, you know, you do this thing called a Roth IRA, put it into a um, S&P 500 index fund mm-hmm. and let it grow. So, you know, I've always been sort of, you know, had that mindset of investing, right? Whether it comes from a scarcity mindset or just kind of doing what my parents said to do or what all the marketing told them to do. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, obviously when I got to my early 20s, I was like, well, this is, isn't going to work, right? Like if you keep investing at 8% in the stock market, like you know what you're going to get. It's, I mean, it's, a, mm-hmm. it's pretty much a, a mathematical equation. Uh, usually you'll get 8%. But, yeah, usually. If you don't count the huge downfalls that happens every 10 to 20 years, yeah, right. you might get to 10%. But, yeah. And, and so, uh, you, but you followed the traditional path. You were laying railroads. And, and then what changed? Well, so I, you know, again, followed the linear path of beginning a primary residence because that's what everybody said you should do. Mm-hmm. You get on the escalator of wealth creation to uh, put money into your home and and not paying, burning your money on rent, which I think is a complete mistake for a young couple to buy their primary residence. They should rent, they should invest instead. But I had this home that I was never 
you know, I never enjoyed. So I just called up one day um, my old landlord and said, hey, can I rent this thing out? And that was like an A-class rental, you know, doing, you know, again, this is all the bad mistakes, right? Buying right. an A-class rental because it's not going to really cash flow for you. Mm-hmm. But it happened to be the right time uh, in 2009 in Seattle where I think it was purchase price was 350000 the uh, rents that I brought in was twenty two hundred a month, and the mortgage was sixteen hundred a month. So for a young twenty year old, that was a lot of beer money coming in. Yeah, yeah. I was like, shoot, I got to do this again and again and again. So, you know, I was I was pretty much a cheapo going into it, and that's pretty much my secret. Like, I just save money. I just do stupid things. I I don't buy my lattes. Right. Um, and I just I, it sounds to me like you're not doing stupid things. I mean, <laughs> I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's yeah. amazing how much money you can waste on silly stuff like that. You know, yeah. invest in a coffee maker instead. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I I bought that one, and then I saved my money pretty quickly two years later to buy another, and then 2012 around, and the Seattle market was getting better, and I just wasn't able to find cash flow in Seattle. And then here I felt like this entitled investor, like, where's my cash flow, right? Right. Well, duh, you know, when you invest in primary markets, you're not going to get the cash flow, the rent to value ratios that you need. You're not going to hit that 1% that you need the cash flow. And I was kind of dumbfounded, and I was like, well, is that the end of this investing thing? Do I just have to invest for appreciation? Uh, you know, luckily I met up a lot of investors and, you know, I um, started investing out of state. It started with one in Birmingham, which uh, Man, I think it literally was like, across the country. Right, right. And then I just I was like, wow, this works. And I traded that in for, you know, my two Seattle rentals for a dozen more. And then I was kind of off and rolling a few years ago with these uh, single family homes. So just to, I wanted to circle back for a second. You mentioned the one percent. Uh, number. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, the one percent rent to value ratio is what a lot of cash flow investors look at. Rooms, baths, or where it really is. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you take the market value of the home as a denominator, and the numerator, which goes on top of the denominator, is the rents. So a mm-hmm. hundred thousand dollar house that rents for a thousand dollars, one thousand divided by a hundred thousand is one percent. Okay. So a lot of places in Seattle, I mean. It's hard to find even a three hundred thousand dollar home that yeah. will most likely rent for like fifteen hundred a month. Denver's so the same tax. way. Yeah. Right. Right. So you know, which is cool, right? If your strategy is to gamble on appreciation, then more power to you, right? Like I think at the end of the day, appreciation will be stronger. But hey, that's not my goal. Was to create residual income so I can retire today, mm-hmm. not just hope and pray. Um, you know that I'll have enough at the end. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of did the hope and pray strategy for a while. <laughs> so it took me a while to, to realize, oh, I can do this with real estate and, um, you know, apply my skills. And so your background as an engineer, have you found that that's useful in in what you do as far as investing goes? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, project management, being able to talk to contractors and, you know, new, knowing the nuances of contract of construction management and contractor management. I think that's a lot of things that a lot of fix and flippers don't even know. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I know enough to know that I don't like doing it. I don't want to fix and flip houses. I'd rather just buy passive cash flow. And um, you know, kind of the the only thing that I 
manage these days is my virtual assistants. Trying oh, really? to wrangle all of them to do the, the things I want them to do. Well, tell us more about that. How many, how many do you have and how did you find them and what, what kind of work do they do for you? So I have them um, doing a lot of like really basic stuff. Um, I've, I've got two tiers working for me. I've got some in the Philippines that I found uh, via Filipino Craigslist. You can just go there and they're just just a plethora of different wow. people looking for jobs. I mean, you're, you'll get them in like the five buck an hour zone. But um, they're pretty unreliable, I'll say that. And <laughs> I don't know if I waste more time trying to teach them what to do than, you know, time savings. But I also have some American VAs too. They're, you know, definitely $20 and above that I definitely, uh, I like them because, you know, you, after a while, you know, you pay for what you get, right? Right. So what, what kind of tasks do you have them doing? So a lot of the tasks are, you know, emails, um, more sales types, because um, I do, I, I run my syndication business as my, my real estate business today, and uh, to help people kind of get into syndications and, and also, you know, get started. Just a bunch of just random website help. I, I have them do. So will you have them, like, for example, just email potential investors? Is that the kind of emails you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, or um, email or call. You know, when I do have a deal, I'll have them call some investors that have expressed interest in the past and uh, ultimately have a set-up call with me. You know, I, I like to talk to all my investors, so whatever I can automate, all, all the repetitive stuff to get all the um, the that useless time out of the way so I can free my time up to really build relationships with my investors. That's really what I'm trying to do with these virtual assistants. That's really interesting. And so so they will call and, and say, what, we have a deal and uh, you know, Lane would like to talk with you and, and schedule a call? Or, or I, I just I really, because we have the same problem, right? A We're lot always talking to investors. A lot of times I think the, big, the best thing is you know, open-ended questions, like, hey, what'd you think of it? You know, what are you looking for next time? You know, mm -hmm. my, a lot of my investors are very engaged. I build a relationship with every single one of them and they get it, like they know that um, you know what they say, what they tell their virtual assistant, I'll try and find for them. And, and I always tell them it's people first. I mean, a lot, all these like, asking these questions, putting into the database. I mean, that's all that stuff that can be automated. But you know, getting to know people, I think that's that's the hard stuff that a lot of time gets put on the back burner because time is spent on all these repetitive tasks. Absolutely, yeah. And so when did you decide to make the move back to Hawaii? And how has that impacted your investing? Yeah, probably about four or five months ago. Oh, you know, okay. I, was, I joined an apartment mentoring group about a couple of years ago. You know, I spent the 30 grand or so to get the education to make the jump from all these small single family homes to bigger stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but I realized, you know, and I talked to a lot of my investors, I asked them, number one, are you good at what you do? And that's kind of a loaded question because most times people don't know what the heck they're good at, right? Right. From, like some of the worst are investors that have horrible people skills or horrible organization skills are doing this and they don't even realize it. Uh -huh. And I kind of took a, a look at it from my perspective and I was like, I don't really want to be a classy multifamily operator. I don't want to be the boots on the ground. But there's a lot of parts of this business that I do like. The analytical part, the finding the deals, you know, working with the people, 
mm-hmm. and you know I was like well I I'm, I live in Seattle I'm not near a lot of these deals in the south and in, in the Texas area mm-hmm. and who am I kidding right like I'm not there so screw it I might as well go to somewhere I like <laughs> Boy, which which is always kind of a far uh, far goal because it's so expensive here yeah I had to take a pretty big pay cut to live here but hey that's what cash flow is for right yeah so so since you're not there doing boots on the ground what is it what do you do then do you do you partner up with uh, people who are sponsoring deals and and help them structure it or, or what what kind of work do you do for them Right. So I come in, I, um, I find the best leads in the business that aren't your household names. Mm. The guys who have trouble finding investors for themselves because, hey, they're doing the thing. They're just not talking on a microphone and looking pretty, right? Mm-hmm. They're, doing, they're doing the hard work. And there's usually something in their business that lacks. Um, you know, I can usually come in and help them out with some kind of, you know, something on the computer. I'm pretty good at, seem to be pretty good at that. And, you know, I mean, Having an engineering degree kind of helps to to help. You know, just it's a team sport at the end of the day. It is, it is. It, it's a it's. I mean, we've gone through one of these training programs too, and my observation has been that the the content is great, but that's just the beginning of it. You know, knowing the right. stuff is not nearly. That's that's one percent of what you actually do. <laughs> right, and I I see it as like. A lot of people, most people will fail and never really do anything. And the one takeaway I have from that is the people that do succeed, they have one thing about them that is their competitive advantage. Some people mm-hmm. happen to live in San Antonio where that building is. Right. The boots Some people are incredible at ramrodding contractors. Some people are very good at getting investors. Mm-hmm. It's very rare that you can do all all sides of this and only if someone who is a who with a huge ego thinks they can do it all yeah and they're going to be spinning their wheels right i mean i haven't met anyone who doesn't have you know at least a partner you know two people working together but frequently an entire team whether it's uh virtual or or real because there's just so much i, I mean just the process of getting a, a loan for multifamily property you know it's just it's a blizzard of paperwork right right i mean it's a really self-selecting thing i mean the guys doing the small stuff i mean there's there's holes in their game Mm -hmm. and but when you do the multifamily stuff you really have to team up and you have to work well with others yeah absolutely so i mean have you found uh sort of a sweet spot for you in the types of 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 transactions you work on like you know, I guess I could turn the question on you. What's the thing you're really good at? So I'm pretty good at talking to investors and trying to co- uh, collaborate what they know and what I know. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a investor club that I, it's an open dialogue. Like I'm not a guru, right? Like mm-hmm. I go to all the, ma- I join up all the masterminds. I spend all the money for that. And I, you know, I know how to analyze apartment deals and different deals, but it's the people in my group that help me they're the people that are feeding me deals. Mm. They're the ones that are asking the right due diligence questions that I may I not be asking. They're the ones that are poking holes in each deal that we're collectively going in, at, you know, as a group and investing in. Yeah. So it, it's an open dialogue. It's just a little different than a than a manager director listening to his people on the ground. Yes, it, it is. Uh, I've gotten a lot of value out of mastermind groups even before I ever 
did real estate, uh, there's something about having multiple perspectives looking at the same problem that, right, that right. is very powerful. Yeah. And it's amazing when, you know, it's people, right? Like it's the people that are already investing 50, 100 grand into several deals as opposed to you know, your normal tire kickers that you'll see in a lot of internet forums and kind of mm-hmm. at your local RIA. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, once you kind of you, you kind of have to go through an initiation a little bit on your own to before you start finding those people. I, I guess if you're lucky, you can meet someone at the first time you go to a RIA, but you're probably not going to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not the one who dated or married the first one I dated. So. <laughs> Well, um, so now you actually have a podcast of your own, right? Yeah, it, um, it's called Simple Passive Cash Flow. And it, it originally started as me talking about my turnkey rentals and single family home rentals, which I still do. But mm-hmm. a lot of people are a little upset. They're like, man, you're like changing and doing all this like syndication and, and RV parks and mobile home parks. And But um, hey, it's just, you know, it's just what I do and my story and bring different people on so. terrific so people can find you just where at temple passive yeah and and simple passive cashflow.com you know it's a blog and website a bunch of different things on there okay well um is there anywhere else they can find you online are you on twitter or facebook or anywhere? you know i'm playing around with the youtube thing i think that's kind of fun these days i've been putting different videos up on there doing different webinars uh, just trying to try all different kinds of things just trying to I think I'm trying to reach the guy who, the guy, the hardworking folks who went to college and are struggling in that day job that, you know, they're making a decent salary, but just the, the marketing of all the Wall Street dogma is just kind of really screwing people, I think. So if I can get them to buy a single family home rental or, you know, enough of that inspiration that, hey, you know, this guy Lane did it, so can't be that bad, right? And then Excellent. get him on that escalator to uh you know guess just get in the game yeah that's the most important part and so can they just find that by searching youtube for simple passive cash flow yeah yeah and then and people join my newsletter they can get this big google drive all these kind of spreadsheets i have to oh. kind of help out people there too i'm gonna join <laughs> just for that because <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's never I, I mean we have resources we use but they're never set in s- stone i mean someone's always got either a different angle or a better way of formatting or or uh, there's tons of free stuff out there you just got to go know where to look for it and then integrate it into your business yeah yeah i mean I, I work with a lot of engineers and they love that stuff i don't know why it's like laced with like sugar or something like that yeah it's a, a spreadsheet's like crack to them <laughs> yeah <laughs> terrific well thanks so much for coming on lane and sharing your insights it's it's always good to uh meet folks like yourself who kind of uh, started down one path and said screw that and created your own little empire yeah yeah thanks for having me and if people want to you know just shoot me an email lane at simple passive cash flow i'm always looking to connect with different folks fantastic i will probably be following up with you shortly (laughs) all right thanks a lot lane Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box.